come from and why, why is it here and uh, why is it so special? Special. It is, um, as you were saying, Alex, it's a really large collection. It's about 3,000 objects in total, and those range across um, really the whole span of pre-Raphaelite art and design practice. So we have an incredibly important collection of uh, paintings and drawings, but we also have uh, a lot of decorative art and designs related to decorative art as well. Um, so it's a very rich collection in depth, as well as being a really large collection. And Birmingham has really been collecting pre-Raphaelites for about 150 years, so even before this museum was built in 1885. And a lot of that early interest in pre-Raphaelites came because of the local pride there was in Burne Jones, a Burn mm -hmm. artist, um, all year in Birmingham in 1833. And he initially had a very, um, well, ambivalent, to say the least, relationship. This hometown was very sniffy about Birmingham uh, in his early years, and uh, couldn't wait to leave really. To, to Oxford University, but in his latter years, particularly in the 1880s, he kind of re-established a relationship with his hometown, and he was genuinely kind of encouraged and cheered by the fact that the, the city was trying to kind of reinvent itself as a cultural centre in the 1880s. So Bowen Jones was a big advocate for the building of this museum, for the founding of the art school in the city, and he became a really important inspiration for young painters and designer makers. In Birmingham as well, and one of the stories that we bring out really strongly in this exhibition is how important Birmingham was as a centre for the arts and crafts movement yes. in the sort of 1880s, 1890s, and right up to the First World War and beyond. Um, so that's that kind of Birmingham story is really important within this exhibition. Um, but in terms of the the collection, it's um, it's as I say, it's very rich. It's particularly strong in drawings. Um, mm -hmm. Back in the first decade of the 20th century, we acquired over a thousand drawings from the collection of Charles Fairfax Murray, um, who, as you know, was Burn Jones' studio assistant and knew a lot of the first generation and second generation pre Raphaelites. So he built up this really important collection of drawings um, and they were acquired in two big blocks um, in 1903 and 1906. And that almost overnight really transformed this collection. It was always already kind of quite strong paintings, but I think those drawings, mm. those were a kind of game changer. Um, and it's kind of interesting where some of those drawings came from as well. So, for example, there were over 100 that had belonged to Fanny Cornforth that Rossetti oh, wow. had given to her, and they came via Murrow to us. Um, so, you know, it's kind of interesting sometimes to trace the stories of where these subjects came from. No, absolutely. And, um, you know, just talking about more Birmingham bred artists. I was just super excited to see some Kate Bunce works mm. um, in Pride of Place. Um, but let, I, I do need to ask you, um, and I, it may be a difficult question, do you have a favourite piece? Or do, do you have a particular part of the exhibition that you are most excited about? That you can't give away too much? But I think there are two things. I think for a favourite, um, one of my all-time favourites is Rossetti's drawing of St. Cecilia for the Mocks of Tennyson. Um, every time I see it again, I'm always blown away, firstly by how tiny it is, <laughs> but then how, how intense it is. There's so much going on in a really tiny space. Um, one of the things we're doing in this exhibition is um, also just highlighting again the fact that Elizabeth Siddle was treating the same subject in the 1850s and that actually the pose of St. Cecilia in Rossetti's drawing derives from Siddle's. The, there's a drawing at Whitted Manor um, where there's the angel and there's Saint Cecilia at the keyboard and she's kind of leaning backwards 
Um, then Rossetti takes that idea and turns it into something that's, that's very Rossetti. It's, it's mm -hmm. very intense, it's very emotional, it's very dense in detail. Um, so it's just an exquisite and tiny, tiny drawing, which um, I love. Um, I mean, in terms of the exhibition, I think one of the things that's been really exciting about working on this, and one of the things that I think is so important and exciting about working with Martin and Tim is that all of us as curators kind of brought different interests to the exhibition and different different kind of passions and, and things that we wanted to explore. And because Martin is a decorative art specialist and he has this incredible in-depth knowledge of the collection in Birmingham, it meant that throughout the show we were able to integrate fine decorative art alongside one another. So there's a really strong strand of applied art running all the way through the exhibition. So there's silver, stained glass, um, Textiles, ceramics, um, enamels, um, every kind of, of uh, decorative art you can imagine, really. Um, and that's allowed us to bring out the connection between these artists. So it felt really important in the show, partly because these are artists who are very often working across different media. Um, so they might be designing as well as painting, as well as stitching, as well as making stained glass. Um, but also because it's a show that's about connections and it's about artists who knew each other, they're all part of the same social and cultural networks, they often have shared ideals, they're kind of joined together to work towards the same kind of aim. And we can bring those connections out in very visual ways in the show. So one thing, for example, that, that we do is there's a very beautiful drawing by Burne Jones for the Pygmalion series, which W.A.S. Benson modeled for Pygmalion. And then alongside we can show one of Benson's beautiful, sleek, copper and glass tea sets. And so that's a kind of visual demonstration of the kind of connection between those artists. And that's something that's really exciting to do. Uh, and equally, I mean, in, in the room we're in at the moment, there's, there's a very bright green silk dress <laughs> that's waiting to go into a case. Um, and we've got a, a green dress, which will then later be substituted with a purple dress later on in, in the run. Um, and when you see a dress like that alongside Arthur Hughes' Long Engagement or alongside um, Wallace's Chatterton, you get that sense of why pre-Raphaelite pictures look so contemporary because they have that kind of jewel-like vividness yeah. of colour yes. that people saw in, in kind of contemporary fashion. Um, and it also then links with, with animal dyes and the kind of technological innovations yeah. of the time as well. I mean, to talk a little bit more about your collection with regards to the clothing and the textiles that you have here, I think is something that is deserving of more attention and of recognition. Mm -hmm. and, and you do, as you say, have quite a lot of these on display with the exhibition. Did you want to talk a little bit about more about those or some of the collection of clothing that you do hold here? Uh, yes, so we have a really important collection of textile and dress and um, we were able with this exhibition to tour uh, several kind of complete garments and complete outfits, um, but also um, other kinds of textiles. So we've got some beautiful um, embroidered purses by Gwen Lewis, who's a Birmingham maker, um, just before the First World War. Those are on loan, long-term loan from a private collection. Um, we have a fabulous bedspread, hand-stitched by Mary Newell. Uh, we have uh, a court dress that was made for a woman who was presented to Queen Victoria and she had uh, a complete outfit made in Morris flower garden fabric. So it has bodice, a skirt, a pair of matching shoes, 
That's really exquisite with these big legamot sleeves. Um, we'll be showing that in the exhibition. Um, and then we have um, some wonderful kind of handmade arts and crafts garments. So we have a dress made by May Morris for Jocelyn Gaskin, who was the young daughter of Arthur and Georgie Gaskin, the Birmingham artists mm -hmm. and makers. So again, you have those kind of friendships and connections coming out through the objects in the exhibition. Um, and some of those textiles are things that a lot of people will never have seen before. I mean, yeah. I've been in Birmingham for 23 years now, and there, there are certainly things in this show that I hadn't seen on display before, so that's really exciting. Yeah, I was, going to, I was going to ask about that. I mean, I've been a regular at Birmingham Museum for many, many years, and I know you've got this enormous sort of holding of pre-Raphaelite art, but this is not... Uh, well, these are not the same objects and paintings that are always out on display at the old B-Mag from five years ago. So there's lots here to actually entice locals. Could you tell us um, some sort of hidden treasures that are coming out as well as the textiles? Yeah, so it's, it's a real mixture, I think, of, of old favourites that people will hopefully be really excited mm. to see again. Obviously the blind girl, British Ireland, Last of England. Um, but yes, there certainly are lots of things that people will be less familiar with. Um, something that I'm really excited about is the stained glass that we're showing mm -hmm. in, this, in this exhibition. Um, because uh, all of the stained glass panels, there, there are six different uh, stained glass windows in the exhibition. And all of those are being displayed in new light boxes, which were made for the tour. Um, and that was enabled by the funding that the American Federation of Arts brought to the table. Um, and really, one of the things that was so um, incredibly valuable to us in terms of that partnership project was the way in which their investment in the show has enabled us to conserve and um, care for the objects for the future as well. So these uh, stained glass windows are now in bespoke light boxes that have essentially like a sheet of LED lighting behind so you get a lovely even wash of light but it also means that they're in a, a kind of contained unit that can then be hung on the wall like a picture so they look better than they ever so they're protected and they can be hung on the much more easily, which allows us then to, to rotate them in, in the displays. Um, but one of the things that's been really nice as well, because it's been about five years since these objects mm -hmm. have been on display in Birmingham, um, it's been lovely the number of museum staff who have been kind of coming through the exhibition um, <laughs> and saying, oh, it's just so lovely to see them again. Yeah. And being able to see art on, you know, on walls within the Birmingham Museum yes. Art Gallery, I mean, I did want to very quickly ask you, how has the whole process been whilst the doors have been closed? Um, you know, to, to, to Birmingham locals such as Carl and myself, um, we have been, if not starved, <laughs> of beautiful works of art. And, you know, beyond the pre art collection that you do have here, you have some wonderful materials mm. and, and, um, and works on display, or at least were on display. Um, how has it all been behind closed doors um, for five, five years? Five years? Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's been a, a big period of, of change for us in, in the museum. So, um, although the pre raphaelite Arts and Arts collections went on their tour in, in 2018, um, the museum actually didn't close till 2020, with the COVID pandemic. Yes. yes. Um, but then following that closure, um, we remained closed for an extended period because there were major renovation works happening on site. So um, initially there was an electrical upgrade of the council house here in Birmingham, which contains our museum as well. So because that was really 
major kind of invasive work. We weren't able to remain open while that was happening. So um, the whole museum was emptied out. So all of the collections, uh, all of the stalls, the archives, the staff, so everything. So the museum essentially became an empty shell of that period to allow that to take place. Um, and that was followed then with another programme of works that was funded through the MEND Fund. And that's enabled us to replace our lifts, to improve our heating, mend the roof. So really kind of important work um, that needed to happen. Um, but again, that needed to happen while the museum was closed. Um, so that's been a, a sort of big undertaking. The staff have been really busy with sort of moving objects in storage and, and kind of caring for them during the closure. Um, but obviously we've also been thinking about what happens when we reopen. So this is now um, the beginning of a kind of phased reopening of the museum. So we're starting with the gas hall and then we will gradually work through other, other parts of the museum and actually kind of reopen them. So uh, this is, this is the, kind of the beginning of the process. Um, but yeah, it's been a, definitely a kind of major period of change for us in the museum. And will there be a change in how the museum and the exhibitions are curated. Are you having a, a, a bit of a juggle around, or? Yeah. Well, one of the things about having emptied out the museum entirely is it, it gives us essentially a blank canvas to work with, and that, that provides an opportunity to think about you know, how do we want to do things in the future, how do we want to display uh, all of our collections, so not just the Victorian art design, but collections across the board. Um, and as some of your listeners will know as well, we uh, had two new CEOs join us in 2020, um, Sarah Majid and Zach Mensah. Yes. And they have um, a very strong vision for what the museum might, you know, what, what it could and should be for the people of Birmingham. And particularly thinking about how can the museum be more useful to more people? What's, what's its role in the city? Mm. What are we here for? Um, and, you know, the fact that the collections are owned by so we want to involve the people of the city more in how the collections are displayed and what stories we tell. And one of the things that we're doing alongside the Victorian Radicals exhibition, now that we have more of these collections out for people to see, it's also an opportunity to use them as a focus for having some of those conversations. So uh, we'll be encouraging um, people to tell us about you know, what do they want to see when we fully reopen, um, what stories do they want to hear about, what do they want to know about pre Raphaelites and the arts and crafts and about Victorian art design more generally. So there'll be a space alongside the exhibition where we'll be encouraging people to kind of feedback and leave their comments. Um, but we'll also be looking at how with our events programme we can have more forums for those kind of conversations. Um, but equally, you know, for your listeners, um, we'd really like to hear people's views because we know a lot of people really love these collections and are very invested in them. And so we really yeah. love people's views about how they feel about how they're displayed in the future as well. Absolutely, and I think, I was, I was speaking to you, wasn't I, before, prior to conversation, Victoria, that it's, it's been so long since Birmingham have, you know, has had the attention that it does, uh, you know, that it deserves with regards to the collection that it holds, and even not even so much just the Birmingham Museum and Art Gallery, you've also got the cathedral, mm. um, that I recorded yeah. an episode with, um, you know, with the guys over at the cathedral, you've got the Birmingham School of Art that holds so much rich history and, and the Birmingham and Midland Institute as well. And all of these places are of such cultural significance. And I do think that it's about time that Birmingham is put on the map with regards to cultural history, you know, especially in terms of Victorian art and design and everything like that. So um, do you have any uh, like events or anything planned or 
or any conversations happening with regards to the exhibition and anything else that's taking place in the city or? Yes, so we, we have very close relations with, with all those organisations that you mentioned and I think that I think you're right, there's so much potential for yeah. us to work more closely together because there are so many connections between the collections that we hold and the artists that are represented and I think also the, the continuing impact that pre-Raphael arts cross artists have mm-hmm. on artists working yes. today and yep. on you know how we think about art and design. Um, and actually we've just I haven't asked this publicly yet, but I'll mention it. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've been working on a project called Post Reflites, where we oh. worked with a group of artists of colour in Birmingham um, to talk about the pre Raphaelite and Arts and Crafts collections, and we talked about how they could be displayed in the future. But also, each of those, those artists created um, an initial creative response to those collections, engaging with those collections. And we were awarded a commission to one of the artists to create a full-scale piece of work um, engaging with the arts and crafts collections. Um, so the artist we commissioned is called Sophia Nyansi, and uh, we're going to be working with her over the coming months. And so she's got a really exciting project. Oh, that's so exciting! Oh, new potential. I love an podcast. <laughs> <laughs> work that these artists were doing, you know, it still has a resonance today and mm-hmm. I think particularly these are artists who are engaging with a rapidly changing world, yes. with the impact of new technology, with yeah. thinking about what does art and creativity mean in the world and, and those are all questions that artists and creative people are dealing with today. Um, so there's there's all sorts of parallels that, that you can... They sound like the questions the pre-Raphaelites were asking <laughs> yeah. about a changing world in the mid to late Victorian times. Yes. Yeah, and how they then how they then react to that, and what what role our creativity have in the world, and that's something that absolutely runs right through this this exhibition. Those kind of questions about what is art for in a in a society. Can you list off for some of our listeners the sort of big highlights of this Victorian Radicals exhibition? So we've heard about the Blind Girl, which is probably my favourite pre-Raphaelite piece of artwork, but there are many others the Birmingham Collection holds and many others that you can come and see when this exhibition opens. Could you tell our listeners what they can expect? Yeah, absolutely. So um, there'll be a lot of um, the very famous pictures that will be out, so um, just thinking about some of the the big starry pictures from the the early years of the uh, Brotherhood, um, William Holman Hunt's Valentine Rescuing Sylvia, two gentlemen of Verona will be out, um, Alex Brown's Pretty Barlands, uh, Walter Norman Ames and an Englishman tomorrow afternoon. Uh, we have some things that nobody will have seen before in Birmingham, um, so for example we have a, a recent acquisition, um, a really beautiful profile of marble relief of John Everett Millet by Alexander Munro, which we actually purchased during lockdown, which hasn't been displayed before, so that will be going up so um, excited. in the exhibition. And um, the Burn Jones Pygmalion series will be out, which is always really popular. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll be showing three of Burn Jones' exquisite pencil studies um, for the series alongside as well. Uh, there's lots of Morrison Co. related materials, so um, we'll be showing several woven and printed textiles, uh, beautiful wallpaper design uh, for Jasmine. Um, there's the Morris Flower Garden dress that I mentioned yes. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, 
we've talked about fabulous textiles and stained glass. There's some gorgeous jewellery, uh, our friend Georgie Gaskin jewellery, um, the Ariadne necklace, which is a sort of fabulous fantasia of a piece of jewellery, <laughs> uh, wonderful enamels, um, and lots of great things. Uh, you mentioned Alex about Kate Bunce, um, lots of fabulous works by female mm. artists and makers, particularly from Birmingham, uh, working at the turn of the last century. So that, that's another really strong story that, that emerges through this exhibition. Uh, so it's going to look gorgeous and lavish. I'm so excited. I mean, the work in progress that we have seen today is already absolutely stunning and I cannot wait to see the rest of the works on display and to see it all come to fruition and your vision realised and um, I think it's just such an exciting time for Birmingham, an exciting time for the for the, for the BMAG to, to reopen and to open its doors to the public and for the people of Birmingham and beyond Birmingham and potentially international visitors as well will be able to experience this exhibition and really enjoy what um, what this place has to offer. Um, just a final uh, thing from us, I just wanted to ask if you would like to tell our listeners ways in which they, they can purchase tickets or um, access any information regarding this exhibition because it's really important that we get people through the door to, to, to view these, these beautiful pieces of work. Uh, yes, so you can pre-book tickets for the exhibition on our website, which is birminghammuseums.org.uk. Uh, you can also buy tickets on the door. Um, yeah, that's probably the best place to go for information, but we, we open on the 10th of February. 10th of February, which uh, is not long now. No, no. a week and a bit. <laughs> so, well, from the time of recording anyway, it's not, not too far away. Um, so the wait shouldn't be too much longer anyway after years and years and years of being able to step foot into this place it's just so exciting that it's finally finally happening um so yeah Carl, did it's you want been to? just a pleasure and a privilege to talk to you today just thank you so much for all of the work you've done on this exhibition and just with BMAC in general it just mm-hmm. feels like like you said earlier a real homecoming so thank you and thank you so much for you know thank you so much for having us and thank you to the listeners as always for tuning in and listening to our episodes and uh, we look forward to well welcoming you for the next episode I guess <laughs> thank you bye bye.